You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hey, Ethan. What's up? Would you like to hear a joke? I'll allow it. So Thomas Aquinas walks into a bar. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bartender pours him a glass of mead and says, how are you doing, St. Thomas? And he says, well, I'm doing all right, but I've been really busy working a lot. I've been writing this massive compendium of theology. Basically, it's a summation of everything the Catholic Church teaches and believes, theologically speaking, and it's just really taken up all my time and a lot of work, a lot of labor, and I've got a great title for it. I'm going to call it the Summa Theologica. But there's a problem, and and that is that I lost it. I've lost my Summa Theologica, and I just can't understand why God would inspire me to write this massive, beautiful work and then allow me to lose it. Yeah. The bartender pauses thoughtfully and looks at St. Thomas and says, well, you win summer, you lose summer. Wow. <laughs> did he now? Wow, it's uh, a prophet of the mead. <laughs> Truly. I tried that joke out on Morgan last night and... Similar response? Oh, what, much worse. Okay. She cupped her hands and put her head down and said, <laughs> I married you voluntarily, knowing you were like this. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's, a, so, that's niche. Very niche. Yeah, there's a really very specific subset of people who appreciate a joke like that, mm -hmm. and all of them are me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, but you know what? Mm. Speaking of obscure and niche references and things, yeah. a listener recently asked, what's the deal with the dead folks who were raised after Jesus's resurrection in Matthew 27? Yeah. <laughs> what indeed is the deal? Yeah. What's going on there? You win some, you lose some. <laughs> Well, um, I hope not. <laughs> now, I love this question, though, whoever you are, because uh, really any excuse to delve into the arcane spaces of theology, that's fine by me. Isn't it? Isn't um, it? All about it. It's We've done a whole episode on, you know, that fight over Moses' bones, right? Yeah. 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 We've, we've gotten into it, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. What is the deal? What's going on there? Well, it would probably be helpful, as always, to take the verses in their context, mm. just so we kind of at least get a sense of what's happening. Exactly. You know, we don't want it in a vacuum here. So Matthew 27, 50 through 53. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Mm. So, we have Jesus dying on the cross, followed by the tearing of the temple curtain, an earthquake, splitting of rocks, opening of tombs, and bodies of dead saints raised to life and going into Jerusalem after his resurrection. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of funny how I forgot about almost all of those details <laughs> as the list went along. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess now that you just read it to me. Um <laughs> Because I think the temple curtain, it's like the big thing. It People, is, yeah. we love to talk about that temple curtain. <laughs> you know, we can play all kinds of word games with that temple curtain. It's a lot of material. Um, ah, material. <laughs> I hate myself. I will now repent. Um, <laughs> yeah, leaving the tombs, the dead, you know, like the really wild stuff. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, we like the textiles and stuff. <laughs> I suppose we should retent. 
That I was a really bad repent joke. <laughs> <laughs> the curtain, you know, and it was yeah. tabernacle. Mm. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> yeah, no, so you're right. I mean, there, there obviously is a whole lot going on there that we don't talk about. Yeah. We really do, unironically, spend a lot of our time in those verses talking about the temple curtain, which is important thematically. Like, it does get picked up. Hebrews is a prominent book that really picks up on that theme. Okay. But, I mean, all that said, I I think it would be safe to say you could probably take each of those items we listed out and write a commentary on each of them and their significance. So, that being said, (laughs) I do think the most dazzling and unexpected piece in those verses is the raising of the dead. Oh, yeah. And just they're walking around Jerusalem. And only Matthew records this. Hmm. That's no, this isn't mentioned in Luke or Mark or John. And it's not referenced again in any of the epistles either. So only Matthew mentions this, and this is all he has to say about it. It's so frustrating. Yeah, like he's just going to throw in this tantalizing piece of information and then be like, all right, peace out, homies, you know, figure it out, you know, right? Well, how? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, so what is going on here? Well, honestly, it's really difficult to say because as we've established, <laughs> this is textually the only reference to the event in scripture. It's all we have. You can't infer a lot from it, you know, because sometimes you get a verse and you can infer a lot, you know, not so here. True. You start asking, you know, I think some of the typical questions you would ask, like, well, who were the saints here? Were these the patriarchs? Were these the prophets? who had been martyred and laid in those famous whitewashed tombs? Uh, Were these the righteous men who had died of late? We don't know because the text doesn't tell us. And it also doesn't tell us what these saints did when they went into Jerusalem. Like, did they preach the gospel and the truth of the resurrection? Were they doing the kinds of things that Jesus did on the Emmaus Road when he was helping those two disciples to open up and understand the Old Testament scriptures? Well, again, yeah, we just, we don't know the answer to those very kind of key questions. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty wild, but I don't know like why is this why we leave it to the side because it Mm. the possibilities are endless but it's really just pure speculation Mm -hmm. like i mean i find it fun yeah i really enjoy that but is it just like well i don't know right yeah yeah like a big collective shrug (laughs) well it's there but you know yeah because i do think if you're thinking about a church scenario particularly like a worship service and you're preaching these verses (laughs) it could be you know distracting i think to have to go down a rabbit trail in a sermon when you're trying to make a main point about like, oh, you know, Christ's death had these significant effects on the world. And anyway, so like, and then, yeah, you don't have much to say about it. Like, well, it says it, but we don't know much more about it. And even then you would have to be preaching out of Matthew. Right. Like there are other options. You could be talking about the crucifixion and not even, I guess, encounter this. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So all that being said, though, I do think, you know, God put this in here for a reason. Prove to me this is useful for teaching and reproof, Josiah. <laughs> That's it. Prove it to me. <laughs> really stretching Paul here. He he's like he's writing all that, but then like he thinks of this verse and he starts sweating and he's like, <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. Obviously, that's a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. No one write and accuse me. Don't don't start a heresy trial for me, buddy. Yeah, no. So you know, Matthew recorded this intentionally. It's in God's oracles for a reason. Yeah. And I do think, obscure as it is, and as little as we know about it overall, even from this little verse, I do think there are a few things that really truly can be profitable okay. to use Paul's language, and they can be helpful to us. So 
Here's one. Okay. The first thing I would say. First thing you can get just from this little verse, strange and obscure as it is, is that it firmly demonstrates that even the believers who died before Christ came were saved, which believe it or not, especially I think in the early church, you know, you get some like points of contention on this with folks like Marcion and stuff like that. If you want to read about them, I don't have time to talk about them right now. But And it also shows that their salvation was inextricably linked to Christ. So in other words, what, what I'm getting at here with this verse then is that the Old Testament saints were saved the same way that we are saved. They're saved by Christ. Yeah, okay. Even though he hadn't come yet, right? But we see that and that these saints were raised when Christ was raised, which if you want to use biblical terminology, that means that they were united to Christ. So like Paul talks about that, right? Like we are united to Christ. We share in Christ. And so that means that like because he rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. Well, since these saints rose from the dead upon Christ's resurrection, that means they were united to Christ, okay? Okay. But they were able to be united to him before he came. And the question then that raises, well, how did that happen? You know, they didn't know his name. They hadn't heard him preach the gospel necessarily. So how does that happen? And the answer is, well, it happened again, the same way that it happens for us. And it happened by faith, right? So like we look back again, okay, we haven't seen Christ. We weren't there during his incarnation to hear him preach or witness his miracles. We look back in faith and trust that he was who he said he was and that his death accomplished our redemption and that he rose from the grave. Well, for the Old Testament saints, depending on when they lived, they looked forward with shadows. They had shadows. So it was a very different kind of dynamic they were working with, but like the faithful of the Old Testament would have understood that the temple and the sacrificial system and the priesthood and so on, they were all shadows and types of this greater reality to come. And they put their faith in that promise that someone was coming who would be the fulfillment of these things, who would be able to rescue them and fulfill all of God's promises. And of course, we know more surely than they did, that reality was ultimately Christ, but they still trusted with what they had. And um, as the author of Hebrews said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you have that same dynamic at work in the Old Testament. And uh, of course, you know, Peter points out in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, that the prophets were told that they weren't serving themselves when they prophesied about the grace that was to be ours, but they were ultimately serving us. So again, it's even though they didn't have the full picture in the Old Testament, and they didn't, it wasn't like they were like, oh yes, Christ is coming and he's going to do all these specific things in these specific ways. And that's what we're going to right. trust. Like they, again, it was shadows. They didn't have the full picture, but they did have those shadows, and they did have the promises of God, and they ultimately did believe that God would fulfill his promises somehow, and that faith in God and that faith in his coming one united them to Christ by faith even before he came. And so whoever these saints were, their resurrection from the dead proves their faith. So okay. to speak. So, so like this moment served as like a grand testament, a very public testament. Yes. Of the faith of those who, like you said, would have come before Christ. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate that. I, I don't think I had necessarily considered their distance right. from Christ. Yeah. And it, it does show the continuity of redemptive history that like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're dealing with this like weird, like, oh, you know, the Old Testament people were in a completely different epoch that had completely different rules and, you know, doing all this stuff. It's like, it was different, but the way they were saved was the same. Yeah. Nothing about that fundamentally changed. And this this little verse, I think, demonstrates that. So you have that going on. Second, though, I think it firmly demonstrates that Christ's power over death extends to others, like that it wasn't something just for him. It shows that the resurrection was something that we get to enjoy, that those who are united to Christ by faith get to enjoy. Mm. And Paul actually, of course, hits on this later in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when he says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So by fallen asleep, he's talking about those who have died. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying there is that Christ is just the beginning 
of a whole harvest of resurrected saints. And the raising of these saints in Jerusalem was a foretaste of that reality. So like it was another proof that like Christ wasn't bluffing when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they, they shall live. And, you know, even by this demonstration, I think our faith in that truth is bolstered because we're like, well, yeah, like Christ got raised from the dead and experienced that, but like no one else has experienced that yet. So do we know? Well, there was a remnant of people who did experience that. We can look at that and say, oh, okay, yeah, they were resurrected. Like that did happen to other people. Therefore, it will happen to us. Like that's not a completely blind faith. We could have trusted Christ's word, obviously, if that hadn't happened. But I think it's a really interesting reassurance and comfort to us that, okay, yeah, Christ's resurrection did apply to other people. Like Mm -hmm. they were raised. And, you know, of course, I mean, it was a victory demonstration over the grave in which Christ could say, I am the first and the last, and I have the keys of death and Hades, which is what he says in Revelation 1, 17 and 18. So he's the one who can set his people free from that tyrannical captivity to death. And we, again, we see proof of that here. Now, the third thing I would point out is that it firmly demonstrates the resurrection is material. Once again, (laughs) it's not an ethereal, ghosty, spiritual thing. It's material. Because you know that's going to come into contention at some point down the line. Yes. Um, Very early on, actually, in the church's history. Yeah, (laughs) because we have, like, people are like, oh, the flesh is evil, and Christ was definitely some projection. Right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So in this, we're like, we're really doubling down on the corporeal resurrection. Yes. And very interesting you bring that up because even by the later period of the Apostle John's life, he's dealing with this. Because Did he, not take long. Right, because he, he was the one who wrote, many antichrists who have, have come into the world, they who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are antichrist. So he deals with that very specifically. And of course, I mean, that whole issue is tied to all kinds of things. Like if Christ is just a projection, he didn't really die, you know, like he wasn't really exactly. it physically suffering. So it undermines so much, but that's another episode for another time. <laughs> but you notice, of course, that Matthew did not merely say that the saints were raised. Now, he could have said that, and I think we'd have all gotten the picture, right? Yeah. Like, oh, the saints were raised. Like you have these dead bodies, dead people, they come out and they're walking around the holy city. But he actually went the extra mile and specifically said the body of the saints were raised and went into Jerusalem. They're physical bodies. He goes to, dare I say, like pains to add that word and say, no, no, no. Physical bodies came out of physical tombs, physically walked into a physical city. Like, I mean, let's just be clear about that, that this resurrection is a material reality. Because it'd be so like easy or convenient or comfortable to come up with an interpretation that says it's metaphorical. Yes. Yes. And that is, again, that was another problem that the church dealt with mm. early in its history. And in many ways, you'll still see remnants of that. Like oh, this I'm is just sure. a spiritual thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it is a spiritual thing, but also a like material thing. Uh, we've talked about this at length, but like God made matter. You know, he likes matter. It's what, uh, like, I, don't, I just don't know what else to say about it. Like, he likes it. You know, he made it. He's the one who created everything and said it was good. Yeah. So the spiritual realities that we experience they're tied part and parcel with the physical world. And so like, it's all connected. And all that is to say is like, yeah, it's not just a metaphor. Like, it's not just this analogy. So it's like, well, yeah, he's talking about the the saints being raised. And that's a picture of what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. You know, we're <laughs> exactly. like, well, yeah, like you are spiritually raised from the dead. Yeah. Like Paul says that in Ephesians 2, you know, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Christ raised you to life. But that's like the spiritual reality that precedes the physical reality of glorious resurrection in which 
we are like spiritually set free forever in a physically renewed world. Mm. So yeah, we're not just talking about immaterial souls experiencing resurrection life. We're talking about flesh and blood experiencing actual (laughs) resurrection life, right? Like getting to enjoy the fullness of that. And I think those three things pretty clearly can come out of, of this verse alone. Even though we don't know anything else about what happened there, what was going on, I think you can see those things. I think at least that much you can infer. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some scholar out there who can infer even more if they thought about it at greater length. But it's like when Jesus went to such great lengths to show his disciples he wasn't a ghost. Oh, yeah. On this last point, right? Yeah. Like he was like, you have anything to eat? And he like eats a broiled fish for breakfast, right? Mm. You know what I mean? Which My is favorite what I want thing. For yeah. <laughs> it's like, how about a bowl of broiled fish? Oh, you know, well, was in a bowl. It's <laughs> something like it's like so like broiled fish and milk. You, you, know? Know, you know what I think of? It's the, it. I'll guarantee you in my head canon, it looks like the soup Aragorn eats. In the two towers. Oh yeah! Right, Awen's like, here's the <laughs> soup, <it>. old man. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, boiled fish. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> guess I got to prove this to you. I'll do it if I have to, I guess. But yeah, so I think um, that arcane reference, you know, I think you can you can extrapolate those truths from it, and it doesn't yeah. answer, I think, our most you know curious questions about the passage. But I'd love to see the like what are the next chapters of that event? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, what happened there? You know, and um, what happened? Did they expire? Did yeah, they lead another good new question. lives. Oh, mm-hmm. so much cool stuff yeah. to speculate yeah. about. <laughs> right. Or did they do that? Or did they like somehow go back into heaven with yeah. the Lord? Yeah, we just don't know. We don't know. So to those who were uh, interested and to you who asked, I am I'm sorry that we can't answer those particular questions, but uh, you know, we dare not speculate into matters that were not explicitly revealed to us lest we go mad and blaspheme things we do not understand. But I do think we can we can grasp that much from that verse. Hopefully that is helpful in its own way. Yeah. Encouraging. So. You impressed me. <laughs> so it turned out to be a little more, I like to use the word depthy. I know it's not depth-y, a real word. I like it. But you it know? really feels like it communicates what it needs to in the fewest number of letters. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone gets it. That's going to be a thing we I do. start using it's on depth-y. this podcast. It, it's depthy. We might as well all get used to it. That's <laughs> For my personal benefit, please. <laughs> In the words of uh, Kevin from The Office, why use many word when few word do trick? (laughs) Why use many letter when few letter do trick? Well, thank you as always for listening. And if you um, have any other questions about arcane bits of theology or scripture, you can feel free to email those to us at podcast at horizonschurch.net, or you can interact with us on social media. And if you did find this helpful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review, you know, you go ahead and you do that. You do that. Thank you. We will. I mean, no dead people will raise because of that. I don't imagine. But but maybe some. Maybe my spirits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Encouragements long since laid to rest. (laughs) will reawaken with vigor. <laughs> the tomb of my depressed heart will open. And much like the story, who knows what happens next? <laughs> Might only last a little while. It's, who can say? And you will never know. Well, thank you as always. And we'll catch you next time.